Well, this is our last week in our study of Revelation. 35 lessons in Revelation. And as I mentioned to, I forget who I was talking to. No, Tyler. This is by no means an exhaustive study in Revelation. There are volumes and volumes written about this book. So um, if you want to study more, there's, I can point you to a bunch of good books to read about it. But. Well, if you remember back to the beginning of this book and throughout the series, I've mentioned why we, t- why we take our time with this book. Because even though we study it now, most of the stuff we're reading isn't going to happen until we're gone. So it's not even going to affect us. But the Bible says in Revelation 1.3, that we keep repeating this verse, It says, God blesses the one who reads this prophecy to the church. And he blesses all who listen to it and obey what it says. Why? For the time is near when these things are going to happen. Now, we're going to learn later the word near, you know, means imminent. And for God, you know, a year is a thousand days, a thousand days is a year. So what we may think takes thousands of years for God is a day. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus died and rose again. That's one day for God. So tomorrow might be the day. So we're, we're anticipating that, we're believing that, and most of all, we're living in anticipation of that. And this last chapter kind of reemphasizes that part. Christ is coming soon. Now, do we live that? Do we, we believe it here? But do we really believe it here? In other words, we live every day believing that God can come back right now, right now. Now, we ended last week describing the beauties and the unimaginable images of what heaven will be like. My old pastor used to say, if there was a rocket ship up front right now to go to heaven, who would want to be on it? And half the people raise their hand, half the people are like, yeah, I want to go now. Others like, kind of want to kind of hang out until life goes on. And as as a young parent, I used to think, Lord, let my kids grow up. And then you can come back. But, you know, I've changed that. If my grandkids, you know, Lord, you want to come back today? I'm good with that. Take the kids. <laughs> Take us. Chapter 22 concluded that thought and gives us some of the last notes of the end time. Revelation 22, verse 1 and 2 says, The angel showed me a pure river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb coursing down the center of the main street. Now, we mentioned earlier that the water of life was symbolic of what? The Holy Spirit, right? And since this appears to be a literal river, it suggests a continual flow of the Holy Spirit and the life and blessings and the spiritual power that God gives. You know, we mentioned that you need the Holy Spirit now, right? You're going to need the Holy Spirit then. And the Holy Spirit's going to be continually flowing in in you and through you. So you'll have, now, we talked about earlier in our worship practice about being slain in the Spirit. How many know and experience that know what that is? All right. So you're overcome with the Spirit of God so much that you kind of lose consciousness, basically. God works in your life. Imagine that you're being conscious in heaven, and that's the power you have flowing through you. That's the perfect power of the Holy Spirit, a continual flow of what God wants to do in your life. So what we have, the Bible says we see through a glass darkly now. We don't, we don't see a little bit of it. We don't see clearly of what it's going to be. But in heaven, we're going to see perfectly. And the Holy Spirit's going to have perfect control over, over our lives. And it reminds us that we will still be dependent on the Holy Spirit now as we are in heaven. 
The throne of God is in the center of the city and the river starts there, indicating that the Holy Spirit's blessings are coming from God. The city we mentioned last week is, again, 1,400 miles high. So it appears, and a lot of scholars think that the Heavenly Father sits high. It's 1,400 miles high. So the river flows down from the center of the city and it's coursing down the levels on the gold streets. My kids, my grandkids have this um, Hot Wheels garage. It's like this tall. And you put the car on the top and it goes down like a garage and it gets down to the bottom. And I imagine that's what kind of like this river is going to be like, coursing down through the gold streets to all levels, touching everyone on every level. Verse 2 says, On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each month, and the leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. Now, most commentators, or commentators say that there are trees lining the sides of the river, not just one, but they're lining both sides of the river. And it harkens back to the Garden of Eden. Genesis 2.9 says, And the Lord God planted all sorts of trees in the garden, beautiful trees that produced delicious fruit. And then Genesis 3 says, And then the Lord God said, The people have become as we are, knowing everything, both good and evil. What if they eat of the, tree of the, the fruit of the tree of life? Then they will live forever. And the trees refer to eternal life given to all of God's people. We will live forever in heaven without any kind of change in us. And the word heal is also the word for health. It doesn't mean that people are going to be healed in heaven as you know, sickness comes and they'll be healed. It means that the trees have already provided perfect health for those that are in heaven. We were talking this morning about, and I, I, don't, I hate to do this because I feel like I'm getting old, but when you sit for a long time and you get up from that seating position, it's like you gotta re-stretch your legs. We don't have that anymore. You'll be able to bend down, get back up, do all kinds of things without any kind of aches and pains. I remember back years ago, I used to, we did our men's ministry back at our old church and we would go out and we went out to a conference once. We stopped at some place to eat and there's 10 or 15 guys there. And all of a sudden, all these guys started talking about was their aches and pains and the medicine they were on and all this, you know. I'm like, I'm like 25 or 30. I'm like, dudes, stop talking. I don't want to hear everybody's aches and pains. Let's talk about what God did at the conference. Maybe you were healed of that. But now I am doing it. So, but we're not going to be doing that in heaven. We're not going to be sitting around talking about our aches and pains and knee replacements and stuff because we'll have perfect health. And we won't even remember not having it. And since there's no death, the health provided by God allows us to live forever. It's not like your bodies wear out in heaven. Imagine that, not wearing out. No sickness, no death, no disease. And even before the fall, work in the garden was enjoyable. Now, obviously I wasn't there because I don't think working in a garden is enjoyable because I do all that work and everything dies anyway. So someone's got to tend that garden. I can't be doing that. And it wasn't until after the fall that work became hardship and a toil. So in heaven, working and serving God will be enjoyable. It won't be a task. And since your bodies don't wear out, you won't get tired at the end of the day. 
And if it's summertime, it's, I'm figuring heaven's going to be like 75, no humidity, nice breeze. You won't be sweating. No sunburns from being outside. It'll be enjoyable to do what God calls you to do there. All of it will be pleasurable. And whatever God has for us to do, we will enjoy it. We won't have the same mindset that we have now of boredom and apathy. Now, I don't know about you, but my kids and my grand, my kids, when my, they were little, and my grandkids now, their favorite saying is, I'm bored. Yeah. It's been five seconds since you were doing something, and you're bored. And you're bored. You know, they're shaking their head. You're not going to be bored in heaven. You're not going to be apathetic in heaven. You're going to be enjoying everything you do all the time. Verse 4 says, and they will see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads. Now, obviously, this is talking about Jesus because God the Father is a spirit. So you see Jesus face to face. Now, obviously, there was no cameras back then, so we don't actually have a picture of Jesus. But we probably all have pictures of Jesus somewhere in our homes or in our minds. We've seen images of Jesus. There's thousands of drawings and thousands of images but we don't know, really know what he looks like. But now we're going to see him face to face and we will know exactly what he looks like. Imagine how you're going to feel when you see him face to face. I'm thinking of, this is probably a bad analogy, but imagine corresponding with someone in a romantic way. You've never met them, but you're kind of corresponding with them. They, well, dating sites do that now, but used to be you would write letters to a pen pal or something. And you would write them, and they would write you back, and now this develops into a friendship, and maybe you want to meet that person to go further with the friendship. And you meet them finally face-to-face. And you see that person that you've been imagining for so many months or years, however long it's been, and you actually see them. And it's like, finally, I get, I get to put a face to a name and your, your love for them goes from there on. Imagine that 10,000 fold when you see them. Now, another example, and you guys are going to experience it. You've seen MRIs of your baby, but you've not seen the baby. And you're anticipating what this baby's going to look like when it comes out, right? You already got everything ready to go. You don't know what they look like, but you try to get an image. But as soon as that baby's born and you see that baby's face, man, it's going to just like, it's going to just explode your emotions at that moment. And, it's, and that's just a human baby and a human parents. Can you imagine what it's going to be like in heaven when you see Jesus face to face? And the name on the forehead indicates that we belong to Jesus and that we have been restored to the image that God created us to be. Now, right now, we're following people, obviously, aches and pains and all that stuff, growing, maturing, and wearing out. But you know what? We're going to go back to the image that God created us to be. We were meant to be created for eternity. Sin in the fall ended all that, but now we're going to have it back, and we'll live forever in a perfect body. Trying to image what that body might look like. People ask me, how old will you look when you're in heaven? I don't know. The Bible says we will be recognizable, so people will recognize us. It'll be a perfect body. I don't know what that age will be, if there is even a corresponding age, but imagine a perfect 
physical body. That's what it's going to be like. Verse 5 says, And there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. And we mentioned last week there's not going to be any sun, no moon, no need for external light, because God himself will be the light that shines on the earth, and we will not need any sleep. We don't get tired at the end of the day, which saying the word day, there's no days. Since there's no night and day, there's, it's one continuous day. God will give us all the joys and the benefits and the privileges of being royalty. How many watched the, the funeral for Queen Elizabeth? All the pomp and circumstance that went on there. I didn't, but I imagine it was you know, pretty spectacular. When we're in heaven, we will be issued crowns, which means we will be royalty. We will have that same designation in heaven. God will, it says, and they will, what, reign with God forever and ever. So we are reigning. We are royalty. Verses 6 and 7 says, Then the angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord God who tells his prophets what the future holds has set his angel to tell you what will happen soon. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey this prophecy written in this scroll. In other words, the angel saying to John, Here, you know God's word is trustworthy and true. Look at all the prophecies in the Old Testament that came true, not only with Jesus, but what's happening now. All of them told of the coming Messiah. They told of his death. They told of his resurrection. And if all of those came true, and they've already happened, you can believe that what I'm showing you now is also going to happen. Because what he's showing John hasn't happened yet. It's coming. It's in the future. So he's saying, I know you're not believing this right now. It's not happening right now, but believe it. All the Old Testament prophecies that came true, they should be enough evidence for you to understand that these are going to come true in the future. And he basically ends it by saying, you better obey what's written. In other words, you better be ready. And he's talking to us. And we better be, <clears throat> we better be ready. Because don't remember our first verse. He blesses all who what? Listen to it and obey what it says. Romans 13, 11 says, another reason for right living is that you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up for the coming of our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. 1 Corinthians 15, 52, it will happen in a moment, in the blinking of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. Revelation 22, I, John, am the one who saw and heard these things. And when I saw and heard these things, I, tell you, I fell down to worship the angel who showed them to me. But again, he said, no, don't worship me. I am a servant of God, just like you and your brothers, the prophets, as well as all who obey what is written in this scroll. Worship God. We live out now off of Hanover Road. How many know where Hanover Road is? And I thought 74 was a bad, mean drag. That one is, if not worse, because there were two serious accidents that happened head-on accidents that happened on that road in the past week or so. And I don't, know, I don't know if God was making me think this or what. Imagine when the rapture happens. How many cars will have no driver? And I started worrying about that. What if I'm driving people around? What if I'm driving my kids around, my grandkids around? And I'm gone, and they're not. Well, that's 
bad in itself. But imagine what happens instantly after that. Because I tell you, I take my eyes off the road for a second, and I'm doing this. Imagine no driver. There was an accident. The garbage truck goes down Hanover Road, and if you've been down there, it does, you know, does this. And somebody must have been trying to pass that garbage truck on a crest of a hill. And we only saw it afterwards. He must have seen someone coming and hit the back of the garbage truck. And it's, you know, what, 40 miles an hour there? Imagine all the death that's going to happen from that. What if you have a plane that has two pilots that are Christians? That's why you need to be ready. You don't want to be here for the, the carnage that's going to happen after that happens. John didn't need to be convinced that everything the angel said was true. In fact, the angel was so full of God's glory and power as he showed these visions, what was John's reaction? His reaction was to fall down and worship the angel. Now, I've, I've mentioned this before. Sometimes when a person is very influential in your walk with Christ, it's easy to put them on a pedestal. Phil and I were talking about that earlier. You never put anyone on a pedestal because they will obviously let you down at some point. The minute you look to someone as a, as a person to emulate, they're going to blow it. And you're gonna, your faith is going to be challenged. The angel said, dude, get up. Don't worship me. Worship God. God is the one who's on the pedestal. Only God is on the pedestal. Because God will never fail you. I'll fail you. Other people will fail you. Your family will fail you at some point. Maybe someone led you to Christ and they discipled you and they were there for you when you needed them. It's easy to start thinking more highly of them than maybe the God who empowered them. Man, you hang on their every word, you follow them around, you listen to their teachings. And that's happened in the past and we all know the, the carnage that happened from that. When you start emulating one person and you follow them around and you listen to them and everything they say, you just soak it in. And I'm not saying that's not, not a good thing. It's good to listen to other people and listen to good preachers. But you can't put anybody on a pedestal. You can't think that they're infallible. And all of a sudden, those people become more important to your walk than God is. Hey, it happened to Peter. Acts chapter 10. It says, they arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for him and had called together his relatives and his close friends to meet Peter. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell to the floor before him in worship. So Peter was influential in this guy's life. He was like, Peter's the end of all things and he started worshiping him. And, but it says, but Peter pulled him up and said, stand up, I'm just a human being like you. Nobody is worthy of worship. Nobody. Nobody's worth, worthy of being put on a pedestal only God is worthy of being put on a pedestal. Luke 4, 8. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And John was told before not to worship angels. Revelation 19. 
says, then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said, no, don't worship me. For I'm a servant of God just like you and your other brothers and sisters who testify of their faith in Jesus. Worship God. Twice he says that. He makes an emphasis, worship God. Now, John's reaction was probably a spontaneous one. The angel's response was the same as before. Don't worship me. Worship God. This Franklin Graham thing we're going through tonight, we were at a, an instructional kind of an informational lunch in a couple of months ago. And uh, they were talking about the, the, the library that Billy Graham has on his property back home. He never wanted, a, he never wanted a, anything like a library or anything. And his, his only concern was, and he, he finally said, okay, you can build the library, but don't put my name on it. Don't call it the Billy Graham Library because I don't want my name on it. I want God's name on it. Why? Because, I mean, of all people, Billy Graham, he's got a big following and it's easy to emulate him and want to be like him and that's fine. But he's the first one to tell you, hey, don't, don't look to me. Look to God. I don't want my name associated with it. I want God's name associated with it. Verse 10 says, Then he instructed me, Do not seal up the prophetic words you have written, for the time is near. No longer were prophecies to be secret until the end, but revealed to all believers. Remember back in Daniel chapter 12, it says, But you, Daniel, keep this prophecy a secret. Seal up the book until the time of the end. Now, for Daniel, that time was way in the future, and he knew that. No need to think about it now, Daniel. It's coming. Write it down. It's for somebody else in the future to read. But however, John's being told, okay, now's the time. Open the seal. Don't reveal it. Let everybody see it. No longer a secret. John uses the word near, which also means the word soon. Let everybody read it. Because those who are reading it it applies to them, which means it applies to us. If, you know, Jesus says no one knows when it's going to be. God says it's going to be soon. But the Bible also says there are things we can look for to anticipate that rapture. Matthew 24, 3 says, His disciples came to him privately and asked, When will all this take place? And will there be any sign ahead of, the, of time to signal your return in the end of the world? And Matthew 24 lists all the signs that were, you know, watch for to indicate Jesus' return. You know, false prophets, wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, persecution, and spread of the gospel. All those things we've seen have magnified in number over the years. So all those things have been coming true that God said would come true. And Matthew 24, 37 says, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings, Right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. It will come when the world least expect it. We shouldn't be in that group of people that least expect it. Because if you least expect it, you might get swept away. The Bible says we're supposed to keep this always in our mind. Knowing this, we keep ourselves pure, the Bible says. And if we may think it's the end, that's fine, but if the world starts thinking it's the end, which they won't, it's not going to come. The Bible says it comes when everyone least expects it. 
Verse 11 says, let the one who is doing wrong continue to do wrong. The one who is vile continue to be vile. The one who is good continue to do good. And the one who is holy continue in holiness. So right now the rapture hasn't happened. There is still time for people to repent. There's still time for people to trust Christ for salvation. But he's saying there's going to come a time where that ends. The door will be slammed shut just like it was in Noah's day. God closed the ark. And once the ark was closed, all the people outside probably banging to get in. It's too late. He's saying the choices you make now will determine your eternal future. You want to keep on sinning? Keep on sinning. You want to be vile? Keep on being vile. You'll see what that leads you to. He says, well, you want to continue to do good. Yeah, keep doing good. And if you want to be holy, continue in holiness because we want to make that rapture. If you want to be holy and good, the Bible says keep it up and God will help you end well. The choices you make now determine what your future is going to be. I mean, we do that with the teens, especially when you get in later teens, the choices they make now could affect the rest of their life. And we want them to make smart choices now. Don't ruin your life at 16 or 18 years old. Not that God can't redeem that, but man, there's a lot of baggage you're bringing along with that if you make mistakes at 16 or 18 years old. Verses 12 and 13 says, See, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me to repay all according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Now, this is the fifth time that Jesus says, I'm coming soon. And the Bible says, if in the presence of two or three witnesses, you need to believe it. And he said it five times. So that means any time. And as we've heard before, the rapture is a silence event. Nothing has to happen before the rapture happens. Nothing prophetic has to happen. The next thing that's going to happen in God's prophetic timeline is the rapture. So we need to be ready for that. It also can refer to how quickly all these things are going to happen. In the twinkling of an eye, we read, bang. Jesus, in, in Corinthians, it talks about one, you know, sowing seed, one taken. One sleeping in a bed, one taken. You know, it's going to happen in an instant. And... Jesus' rewards will be issued after we have all been judged. It means everybody has a judgment time. How many know that? We all have a judgment time. Believers are going to be at the judgment seat of Christ, and that's where our works will be judged, the things that we do here. Not what we did in our flesh, but we did in the spirit. What was the motivation and the love that we did during those? When you do things for God, what is your motivation behind it? That's what God's going to judge. There's a lot of people doing a lot of things that appear to be good, What's their motivation behind doing them? Do they do it because they want to get a pat in the back? They want to get recognition? They want to get adulation? The Bible says if that's what you want, that's what you get. You'll get the pat in the back here, but you're not going to get a reward in heaven. But if you do it for God's pat in the back, regardless of what happens here, that's what you get. In other words, you do something for God and no one recognizes you and no one appreciates it and no one really says good job you do it anyways because you're not doing it for their approval. You're doing it because God is going to give approval for it. And that's what we get judged on, and that's the reward we're going to get for that. And on the other hand, the unbelievers will be judged at the great white throne judgment. And again, they will be judged according to their works. God says, okay, you think you're good enough. Let's look at the record. 
and the very first sin that they've committed, God says, okay, my standard is perfection. You thought you could be good enough, but here's the sin you committed. You're not going to make it. Alpha and Omega indicates that he is eternal and he will bring about all the events that he has described. Verses 14 and 15 says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so, can, so they can enter through the gates of the city and eat from the fruit of the tree of life. Outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshippers, and all those who love, to, who love to live a lie. Washing their robes is a euphemism for salvation and obedience. Back in Revelation 7, 14, it says, Then he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb and has made them white. Those who have been saved and been obedient after salvation will be granted entrance into the new Jerusalem. That means you, that means you just can't say a prayer when you're five and expect to make that, you know, how you stand. It means you live constantly in a state of anticipation. You live your whole life waiting for Jesus to return, trying to be holy. Now, we're not perfect, right? Anybody, we talked about this last week. Nobody's perfect. But you desire to be perfect. You want to be what God wants you to be. And it means you recognize when you fall short. And you ask God, okay, Lord, I blew it today. First John 1, 9, please forgive me. There's a difference. People who don't believe, they don't care about serving God. Christians care about serving God and they want to do it but they know they don't do it right. And they want to do it right. And they ask God to forgive me and help me and make me better. That's the difference. So no one's going to be perfect when you die. It just means that you've always wanted to live for God and let the Holy Spirit work through you. So you can't always live like you want to live. You live like God enables you to live. And faith is always shown by obedience. In other words, there's the difference between someone saying, well, I believe, and then someone believing and then showing their evidence of faith by what they do. In fact, James says it. He says in ch uh, chapter two, he says, so you see, it isn't enough just to have faith. Faith that doesn't show itself by good deeds is no faith at all. It's dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. I say, I, I can't see your faith if you don't have good deeds, but I will show you my faith through my good deeds. In other words, how, how do people know you're a Christian? Used to be, there's a saying that says, if Christianity was a crime, is there enough evidence to convict you? In other words, if people have no idea that you're a Christian and you live like everybody else and they have not a clue that you're a Christian, the Bible says, you know, you might want to check your faith because true faith is evidenced by how you live. You will live by what you believe. If you believe that you don't want to get a ticket when you drive, then you will drive the speed limit. However, if you don't believe that the speed limit's true and I'll get away with it, then you're going to speed. You live what you believe. And if you want to live for God, that means you, you have to believe what God says. Now, Outside the city means anything having to do, outside of anything having to do with heaven. So all these things that are outside the city, they're actually outside of heaven. And we talked about those who won't be in heaven. We mentioned those last week. Verse 15 reiterates and says, sorcerers, sexually immoral, the murderers, 
idol worshipers and all those who love to live a lie. Those are all the ones who aren't going to make it. Those who live their life constantly in that state of mind. And idol worshipers don't have to be a graven image. It could be anything that you put before God. Revelation twenty-two sixteen says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of, the source of David and heir to his throne. I am the bright and morning star. In other words, Jesus is confirming to John that, yes, I'm the one who sent the angel. Everything he's saying is true, and you need to let the churches know before they get to heaven what's going to happen because these events haven't taken place yet. And everybody needs to know what's going to happen so they can be ready. Going back to the accidents on, on Hanover Road, my wife was stuck in the traffic of that accident. If you knew that there was an accident there, you would avoid it. You'd go around, right? We know that Christ is coming, so that means we want to avoid. Now, we know what's coming. We know there's an accident up ahead. We know what's going to happen in the future. So we need to make plans now to avoid what's going to happen. And he's also saying that this is the fulfillment of the prophecies that were spoken of in the Old Testament. Isaiah 11.1 says, out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Again, talking about the coming Messiah. Isaiah said this is the Messiah. He's coming. He's a branch or a shoot of David. And John the angel says the same thing. Morning star. A lot of different visions of that in commentaries but most of them say it's probably the sun that brought the morning how many of you get up and like around six or seven o'clock you see the sunrise kind of really pretty unless you're driving into it and you can't see anything but it's nice to sit in your back porch and look at the sunrise and it's just uh, beautiful and that's what they're comparing jesus to as the morning star or the morning sunrise Revelation 22.6 says, The Lord God who tells his prophets what the future holds has sent his angel to tell you what will happen soon. And to the Son, now we've seen references to the Father, that was that verse. We've seen references to the Son, Jesus. In verse 16 says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. And now we have the last reference in the Bible to the Holy Spirit. In verse 17, it says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let each one who hears them say, come. Let the thirsty ones come, anyone who wants to. Let them come and drink the water of life without charge. When we preach, evangelize, talk to someone about Christ in any capacity, it has to be done with the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. How many get that? When Paul, anybody in the Bible who was called Moses couldn't speak right, Paul couldn't speak right, everybody, you know, I, I can't do it, I stutter, I talk, I, I come with you without you know, great words. It's not the speaker. It's the Holy Spirit working through the speaker. Whatever they're saying has to be anointed from the, church, from the Holy Spirit in order to affect your life. When we pray, we pray up front before the services, we want the Holy Spirit to have control. We want everything to be moved by the Spirit of God in these services so that we're open to what God wants to do. It doesn't mean that God doesn't plan the services and we have an agenda and we have, I have notes, but we always need to be open to what God may want to change in the service. That, that, prayer that 
commentary I said at the beginning about uh, Romans 7 and 8, didn't plan it. God put that, dropped that scripture in my mind for whatever reason. Maybe God needed someone to hear it. I don't know. But we want to be open to that. We sing a song that says, make room. But we want to make room for you. We want the Holy Spirit to have control of this service because this is his service to do what he wants to do. And we're just facilitating God's will prayerfully in a service. The spirit and the bride must cooperate together. Now, we're the bride, right? The Bible says the spirit and the church has to work together. If you go out and try to do something without the Holy Spirit, it's going to fail. But you need to have the Holy Spirit empowering you to do what God wants you to do. Now, remember, all these events haven't taken place yet. And this is Jesus' last call for the people to get saved. We're going to hear that message, I'm sure, at the Franklin Graham Crusade. Every Sunday we try to do it here. That's the most important thing, is that people come to know Christ. That's our job as Christians. And verse 18 says, And I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the prophetic words of this book, if anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. And if anyone removes any of the words of this prophetic book, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. Our first verse, you gotta hear it and you gotta do it. Read what God says, read what God teaches, do it and you'll get blessings. But this verse also tells us that we can't take this stuff lightly. In other words, if, we just, if we're really glib about this and we start adding our own commentary in, the Bible says, that's dangerous. We will be blessed, but we will also be cursed if we change God's word in any way. And it could mean just the book of Revelation. A lot of people think it's the entire Bible. Now, we do our best to teach God's word exactly as it's written, and prayerfully, it's not with any of my own thoughts or opinions because you can't pick and choose what you want to believe. We can't just dismiss parts of it because we don't like it. And there's a lot of churches that are doing that. I, mean, I, don't, I don't like this part of the book. It's not, we're not going to teach that. For the longest time, I, I've never taught Revelation because I always thought, well, who cares? It's coming. You can't do that. You can't not teach something because you don't like it or don't understand it. And the Bible says if you add to it or you take from it, you'll be cursed. Why? Because this, ver this verse tells us if we add anything to the book, we'll be plagued. And we've seen a kind of a plague the past couple years. If you take anything out of the book, the Bible says... It's going to take your name out of the book of life. So I, when you talk about people who lose their salvation, some people teach that you can't. The Bible says your name's in the book. God takes your name out of the book. So you were saved and now you're not. I'm thinking you lose your salvation. At the beginning, we talked about the signs of the end, of, end, end times. And it says false teachers and prophets are a sign that and we're seeing a lot of today. Now that means we need to be diligent in our study of God's word and we need to be sure 
that we study to show ourselves approved, 2 Timothy, and approved by God, not by anybody else. Why does God say that? Because he says in the end times, a lot of false teachers, a lot of false prophets are going to be here, and you need to be aware of that and be prepared for that. So when they come knocking on your door, you know how to respond. Because if you don't, they will talk you out of what you believe. Because they're very good at twisting what God's word says. You need to be well versed in what is true. Verse 20. He who is faithful, who is a, who, he who is the faithful witness to all these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Again, the final promise repeats his assurance. He's coming again. And John's reply is how we should all reply. Verse 20. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Do you want Jesus to come back now? Or are you happy that he hasn't come back yet? Now, I'm happy in the sense that 2 Peter 3.9, God is long-suffering, not wanting any to perish, all to come to repentance. That's why he hasn't returned yet. He's wanting more and more people to get saved. That's why he's not returned. So yes, in that sense, I don't want him to come back yet. A lot of people I know that aren't saved. But I do want him to come back. I would like to see it in my lifetime, but if it happens, great. If it doesn't happen, I'm okay with that. And this goes back to what I said earlier. How much do we enjoy our lives too much now that we don't want to be raptured? And we want to keep on living how we're living. You know, America, I think, is unique in that. Maybe the Western countries is unique in that. We enjoy life now. We don't want God to come back. We're, we're good. But how much the other nine-tenths of the world who are living in poverty and torture and abuse and persecution, they, they can't wait for God to come back. Get me out of this. And I think of Israel, every time God blessed them, what happened? They walked away. <laughs> Looking at what's happening in our world now, at least in our country, I'm wondering if God's beginning to say, okay, I've had enough. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what, what you all have wanted, and I'm going to let you do. I, I heard a commentary last night before I went to bed that really sca scared me. Like, he, this guy's thinking, that, oh, man, the, the other party's going to take over, and it's, and it's going to be great. We'll get everything we've been trying. This is the, the liberal side, the leftist side. We're going to get everything we've ever wanted. I'm thinking, oh, man. If that happens, that's, I believe that's God's punishment. You want it? Here you go. How many countries have been conquered? Not too many. How many countries have collapsed from within? Most. And if we keep going the pace we're going, we're going to collapse from within. And basically, I think God's saying, okay, I'm going to take my hands off. You guys want to do what you want to do? Knock yourself out. See how that turns out for you. We should have the same attitude. Yo, Jesus, come back now. The last verse in the Bible says this, verse 21, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. He ends that book, he ends the Bible with a benediction. The assurance that God's grace will be with us until he returns or until we go to be with him. 
No matter what you're going through, the Bible says God's grace is sufficient for every need. It provides for your forgiveness when we sin. It provides power to live the holy life that we want to live. God gives us what we need if we trust him for it and basically ask him for it. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. Lord, I, I need your Holy Spirit. Okay. And the last question I wrote here is, are you ready? If right now you knew before 12 o'clock the noon bell strung, struck, you're going to get raptured. Are you ready? Or do you look into your life going, man, I don't know if I'm ready. Would you stand as we close? You bow your heads for a moment, close your eyes. You know, I never want to assume that everybody who attends church is actually a Christian. Because I'm sure, and I know for certain, that people who attend church aren't Christians. Not necessarily this church, but maybe. And I've asked the question a number of times in the sermon are you ready? If Jesus comes back today, or you die today, are you ready to meet the Lord? If you're banking on you being a good person, and that's the extent of your, your payment, or your reasoning, the Bible says you're not, it's not good enough. It's not enough. The Bible says every one of us has sinned. Every one. From Billy Graham on down, we've all sinned. And the Bible also says the wages of those sins, if you sin, the wages that you're going to get, what you're going to get payment for is you're going to die. And what he means by that is eternal separation from God. In other words, you want to choose to live without God now? God's going to let you do that after you die. You're going to live in a place called hell without God. He's going he's to let you do what you want to do. But the Bible also says that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. In other words, we can't make it on our own. We, none of us are good enough to make it. But the Bible says Jesus came down and took the sin, the payment that you, should, you and I should pay for that sin. The death that we should suffer because we're sinners, Jesus did it for us. And the Bible says as many as receive him, not just know about him, but as receive him, those he gave the authority to become children of God. If you're here and you've never received Christ, in other words, you've never really repented of your sin, known that you're a sinner, ask God to forgive you and change who you are and not make you a sinner anymore. If you've never done that and you can't point to a time in your life where you did that. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day you need to make that choice. You want to make it today. You don't want to wait till next week because you may not be here next week. Either you die, the rapture happens, or maybe you just skip church. And you lose the chance to do it. The Bible says today's a day of salvation. So if that's you and you want to make today the day that you begin your new life with Christ, I want you to raise your hand. All right, Lord, I'm going to believe that everyone here is a committed follower of Christ. So Lord, I pray that you would continue to fill each one of us with your Holy Spirit. Prepare us for the future, whatever that might be. If you return tomorrow, we want to be ready. 
If you return 50 years from now, we want to live ready in anticipation of that. So that when that time comes, Father, we can look back on our life and by the help of the Holy Spirit, we've lived our life pleasing to you. I pray that you give us that ability. We know that in ourselves, we don't have that ability. But your Holy Spirit that fills us every day will give us that power to do that. And the more we do, the less it will become hard to live for you. It will become second nature. We will want to do what you want us to do. So Lord, I just pray your blessings upon each one here. Allow us to experience your power every day. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a great week. See you Wednesday night.